Hey, Next in Nonprofits podcast listeners, this is Steve Boland. A quick note ahead of the show today, we had a microphone issue on the recording for this episode, so my audio came out uh, pretty poorly. You can still understand it, and the content from Aral is just so fantastic. We're just going to go ahead and run with the less than optimal audio, uh, but please do hang in and listen to what Aral has to say. Super great stuff. Thanks for your patience. Talk soon. Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am just honored and thrilled to be joined today by Aral Balkan. He is the co-founder of the Small Technology Foundation. Aral, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Uh, Steve, thank you for having me. Uh, we got connected through a mutual person on Mastodon, a federated social media service, and I want to talk a little bit about that and so many of the related issues around it. But before I do, could I ask you to just Talk a little bit about what Small Technology Foundation is, what you do there. Well, um, small technology is the exact opposite of big technology or big tech. So um, what does that mean? Um, what is big tech? Well, big tech has as its goal to grow as quickly as it can to um, basically, um, I call it people farming, to get as much mm -hmm. data about as many people as they can um, so that they can then exploit their behavior for profit. So um, that's something that we don't really agree agree with. Um, I've been working in technology since I was uh, tiny, since I was seven. I started programming back then. And um, I know that technology can be used for much better purposes than just exploiting people. So small tech is basically about building tools that uh, enable people to do things easier um, and uh, building tools that work for people, that people own and control themselves, so that these tools are not owned and controlled by corporations, so that everything that you do there is not under surveillance, so that everything you do is not used against you um, in the court of big tech. So uh, that's what small tech is, and Small Technology Foundation is a tiny not-for-profit. It's me and my partner, Laura, um, and uh, we're building tools that hopefully align with this vision of what we feel tech should be and could be. Uh, and I'll put a link to your website in the show notes. There's a great video on there that I haven't had a chance to see all of yet. It's It's got wonderful information on it, really great to listen to. So people that are interested in learning more, please do check that out. Uh, link in the notes so you can find your way there. Um, but what got us here today is I think many of us in the uh, social good sector, charitable spaces, uh, have for a long time now been more and more and more uncomfortable with some of the partnerships we've established with big tech um, companies. And let's talk about social media specifically here, because that's what got this part of the conversation going, where um, we were excited about having free access to large audiences to have conversations about our mission. So sure, we'll have a Facebook page. Absolutely. Let's start a Twitter account. Let's engage people to talk about these wonderful things. Um, but then increasingly over time, it became, well, your access to those people is actually fairly limited. Even if they say they want to follow you, there's a fairly good chance that any message you post isn't going to be shown to them. Because as you said, these things aren't owned by the community. They aren't driven by the community. They're owned by corporations that have different goals from community. And I think my sort of last moment of, I need to find a way to do something different, uh, was the announcement of Twitter being acquired by Elon Musk. 
uh, as we <laughs> are recording this right now, that's maybe in doubt. And, and we, you know, maybe uh, Musk is throwing a little temper tantrum and is going to take his ball and go home. And that's fine if that happens. And if it doesn't happen, that's also fine because it's sort of less than relevant to the long term problem of really accessing community and, and having conversations with people without interference of ownership within that space. So way back in the day, I, I remember thinking about Join Diaspora. Um, then that was followed up by Mastodon, which I created an account in 2018, I think, but then kind of quickly didn't get much traction on, stopped thinking about it, went away, came back to the concept of Mastodon when, it, when <laughs> all of this started happening this year. Um, so as somebody who's been around that space longer and uses it, can you talk a little bit about what is Mastodon? What is federated communication? And, and how does that work differently from sort of like a, a Facebook or a Twitter? Sure, sure. And uh, maybe we can circle around afterwards back to, you know, this concept of uh, how um, we allow these centralized systems that are built on, uh, you know, principles that we don't really agree with to grow and to take root. Um, as long as we feel that maybe the people in charge are people that are compatible with us. And then the moment uh, that becomes a moment of realization for a lot of us is when somebody whose thoughts or whose actions are not compatible with how we feel takes the reins. Yeah. And the real problem is that these things get created in the first place. So we saw this with surveillance, for example. You know, a lot of people were like, okay, well, there is all of this surveillance being built into technology, but it keeps me safe until Trump became president. And then they were like, wait a minute, He's going to have access to all right. of this information. Now I'm worried. Well, you know, this is how this works. So we have to actually start building systems where uh, that aren't based on this model of centralized surveillance, on this model of CEO kings today, kind of knowing all of this information about us. So how is um, the Fediverse, as we call it, different? Well, I, I see it as a bridge. I, I see the Fediverse as a stopgap in a sense, actually. Um, it's not the ultimate destination we could be at, but it's a really good place to be. It's much better than the big tech uh, landscape, the corporate landscape that we have as an alternative. Um, so the way federated systems work is, uh, for one thing, they're free and open source, which means that anyone can take and run an instance of, say, Mastodon. So think of Mastodon as Twitter. Um, but there isn't just one Twitter.com. Uh, anyone can run their own Twitter.com at different domains. So not at Twitter.com, of course, because that's owned by Twitter Incorporated. Um, but I can run mine, which I do, at mastodon.ar.al. AR.al is just my domain. Um, that's my website. So I can run it on a subdomain from there. And actually, I'm the only person who's on my own Mastodon instance, on my own instance of, say, Twitter.com. Think of it that way. But I can talk to every other Twitter.com that everyone else has. And some of these instances might have one person, like me, like mine, um, or there might be 100 people, 1,000 people, or one of the most popular instances, Mastodon Social, which was created by Eugen, who created Mastodon itself, um, uh, has hundreds of thousands of people there which actually is a problem, which we can talk about later if you like. That's actually a problem that it's getting so big. But the cool thing is there are thousands and thousands of, think of them as twitter.coms again, 
but they can each talk to one another and the people on these instances can talk to one another. These instances themselves might be uh, topic-based. Maybe it's there's an instance for librarians, for example. Um, there's an instance for people who uh, are interested in anime or in other, you know, uh, uh, other topics. Um, or they might be general purpose. But anyone on any instance can talk to one another, and that's the key thing. So it's free and open source, so anyone can run it. Um, so there's no lock-in. And there is a protocol by which all of these instances can talk to one another, a shared language, if you will. Um, and so uh, you don't have to be on Twitter in order to talk to people who are on Twitter. You can be on any Mastodon instance and talk to anyone that's on the Fediverse, not even people who are using Mastodon, which is just one piece of software. But there is PixelFed, which is a client that uh, is similar to Instagram in feature set. Um, there is Owncast, where you can do live streaming. Um, there is uh, Th th there are lots of different um, applications, and anyone yeah, peer, peer on any of these too, systems, right? PeerTube, exactly. Which so is PeerTube true. is a version of YouTube that's free right. and open. Yeah. But if I have a PeerTube account um, and I post something, and I'm I can follow that person's PeerTube account from my Mastodon account because they all speak this common language called ActivityPub, um, and that's the protocol that I was talking about. So it's it's an interoperable system. It's a system built on standards and it's a free and open system. So the word you didn't hear is corporate. This is not a corporate system. It's built by people for people. Although there's nothing to stop a corporation from creating their instance of Mastodon with their user base if they want to. And again, no, yeah, um, exactly. And, and in fact, that's actually one of the uh, one of the problems with a federated system, because yeah. Mastodon is not the first federated system we've had. There's one that everybody uses. You may not know that it's federated. It's called email. Right. So email is a federated system because remember you can be on uh, Hotmail or Gmail or back in the day AOL, but you could email each other because they all spoke the same email protocols, SMTP or POP3 or IMAP today. These are all languages just like ActivityPub. But, and I think email is a really good warning for what could happen to the Fediverse if we're not careful. Today, if Google says you can't send an email, you can't send an email because Gmail has gotten so large that if they say something is spam, then no one on Gmail is going to get your email, right? You may be spam, you may not be spam. Uh, there might be another reason why they want to block your emails. Uh, but if they block your emails, then you are blocked from email essentially. And that's a that's a real danger that exists with the Fediverse as well. Um, Microsoft sort of uh, invented this approach of embrace, extend, and extinguish. Mm -hmm. And the Fediverse the Fediverse is not um, it, it, it is also susceptible to this. So we have to be very vigilant about it. I really appreciate that uh, concern and forewarning about the idea that most of us can connect to the idea of interoperable systems like email that I could go get a free Gmail account from Google. Sure, that, mm -hmm. that's easy. Uh, I could go yep. get a free Gmail account from Yahoo I, or a free email account from Yahoo. I could go pay my web host to, to have my own email account at my own domain, um, which exactly. is probably not gonna be free, not gonna cost very much money, but I also then have more control over it, right? That becomes right. my decision. Now it still gets run through blacklists and 
uh, other things. So if I um, operate my email account in such a way that other service providers view it as a threat or a problem, it doesn't right. really matter if I'm running my own host anywhere else in the world. I'm not going to be able to reach these other places that I want to talk to. Right. But right. the general idea of helping people understand that uh, email is a, a starter place to think about this idea of a distributed system that has many, many, many entry points instead of like, there's only one Twitter if you want to be on Twitter. Um, there's exactly. lots of places for email right now. It has its problems, but it gives us a sense of thinking, well, Mastodon kind of looks like Twitter, functions in many ways like that, but yeah. it has this extensibility thing that you're talking about to exactly. be available for anybody that wants to use the protocol. Yeah. So I signed up uh, for my next in nonprofits Mastodon instance because I, I, I had one way back from 2018, I think at uh, Mastodon.social, I, I believe that yeah. the, the big crowd um, and looked around and started uh, um, an account at uh, Mast.to uh, to go, well, there's another place, I'll go over there. And, and just yeah. recently got a, a warning from them that I'm violating their particular instances terms of service because I mentioned my commercial services on it. And they're like, this is an right, right. And I just didn't read the terms of service carefully enough. And I'm like, okay, my no. God, I, I should have been more diligent about that. And, and you have rules for your system. But the joy of this is that there's a little button there that says you can port this now anywhere else you want to go. If this doesn't work for you anymore, exactly. take your instance with your information about who you're connected to and take it somewhere else where the rules do fit what you want to do. And you're not right. violating somebody else's rules, including as exactly. you start your own if you would like to yeah. do that. Um, and then exactly. people that choose to follow you can follow you regardless of the content that you may be choosing to share. Although the community, right. as I'm experiencing it right now, um, is doing a really good job so far from my perspective of self-moderating around things like content warning and hiding yeah. things that um, they may say, I want to be able to talk about these things that aren't good for everybody. So I'm going to right. let you know that this particular content maybe would have not been okay on somebody else's service, but here we're going to at least give you the heads up. I want to have this conversation. Here's how it might not be the right thing for everyone. Right. And then if you choose not to view that content, you just move along or you can unveil it and see what's going on if you choose to. But that's a cultural thing that's happening in federated spaces, not really a rule. Yes. No, no, but it all it all goes back to, you know, why these alternatives were created. And it's because there was a displeasure with how moderation was handled. Yeah. There was a displeasure uh, about the sort of impotence mismatch between what people wanted to do or protect themselves from, etc., and the goals of these corporations. You know, if you look at Twitter, the more conflict there is on Twitter, the more money Twitter makes. Uh, so they're not going to implement measures that reduce the conflict quite the contrary. So, you know, uh, systems like Mastodon were created by people who were unhappy with that, who thought we could do better because we can do better when we remove the, you know, motive of making as much money as you can by exploiting people. Um, and I think Mastodon and the other Fediverse applications are a great example of what's possible. But again, I, I feel that there are stop gaps um, because we can go one step further which is, um, like you said, um, you were saying that I, like, I, I can run my own Mastodon instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do. I have my own Mastodon instance, and it's just for me. Now, um, 
for one thing, that doesn't mean that I can compel anyone to listen to what I'm saying. Right. That's not it. That's not because I think I think a lot of people have a very warped idea of what freedom of speech is. And I think uh, some people feel that it means that they have this right to compel you to listen to them no matter what they're saying. No, um, your freedom of speech is that you can actually say something. Uh, you can't make anyone listen to you. Right. So and, and, and even though I have my own Mastodon server, anyone um, who doesn't want to follow me doesn't have to follow me. Um, furthermore, if they don't want to hear from me, um, they can block me. Um, if they don't want anyone on their instance to hear from me, they can block uh, my my account or my whole instance from their um, from their instance, which is exactly how it should be. Right. Um, but what I do know is if I post something and say right now I have about 12,000 followers on the Fediverse, all 12,000 of them are going to see what I've posted. That's the one thing I can be uh, sure of, unless there's a technical glitch or well, something in one they, of their they instances. They have access to an unmoderated stream. Uh, it depends on when they come in as to whether they read everything that's in their stream. But no, oh, exactly. no third party. But it'll be in the stream. This one's deprecated and this one going, that kind of Exactly. Thing. Yeah. And that's because um, of a fundamental difference between these systems, uh, where uh, centralized systems like Twitter or Facebook have algorithmic timelines, where an algorithm, which is just a black box, basically, um, uh, decides who gets to see what. So on Twitter, I might have 45,000 people or, or however many I have, I haven't logged in for a while or haven't really checked. Um, but uh, if I post something, I don't know if one person is going to see it, a hundred, a thousand, who knows? Twitter knows. Um, they have a secret sauce recipe uh, that decides who gets to see what I post. And if I pay them some money, more people will get to see it, etc. But they are the man in the middle. They both filter my reality in terms of showing me what they want me to see. And uh, they also filter my ability to reach other people who have expressed the desire to hear from me. They're a man in the middle. And uh, that's great if you want to be a trillion dollar corporation. Um, it's not necessary if you want to communicate with people. So as we think about this in the context of social good organizations, NGOs around the world, um, right. they're thinking to themselves, you know, we want to help kids learn to read. We want to get placements for animals that need homes. We have whatever our good mission is that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And we want to talk to the largest number of people about our mission that are interested in our work that could support us to do these things. And I think right. a lot of them, uh, and I've given talks at conferences where I've said this before, are, are in that, that space of the, the infamous Willie Sutton quote of, you know, why did you rob the bank? And him answering, well, that's where they keep the money. Um, you know, why, why are you on Twitter? Why are you on Facebook? Why are you on Instagram? Like, well, that's where the people are. They're in this big right. space. And if I had direct email communication with as many people as I needed, I probably wouldn't spend so much time on social spaces, but I don't have right. that many email messages. And these folks are here, but we are under this, I, I think, increasingly false uh, perception that being on mm -hmm. Twitter or on Facebook with you know 5,000 followers means I'm reaching 5,000 people. Exactly. Those people are there, but probably you're not getting in front of them. And exactly, and the numbers lie as well. Right. We've seen time and time again that these social networks have inflated their 
numbers. Um, and it usually comes out because, you know, they've done so uh, and some other corporate client finds out or some right. research unravels it. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, they're not trying to protect the, the, the common person who's using this. Um, but, you know, if they, if they end up pissing off one of their uh, corporate customers, then, then that's usually when we hear about it, you know when the Titans battle, we kind of get a yeah. bit more uh, visibility into what's going on. And, and we've been doing our little paid post things in these spaces to catch our little spillover. And um, that's measurable and we can see what it does for us and all those things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to debate whether we all uproot from every um, corporate owned social media thing today. But I do think that the question that is more interesting to me is, uh, what if those charities that do have a social good mission, especially those that are more interested in, um, you know, free communication and, and human rights, right. and things that are that are right. being, um, you know, I, I work with an organization that is specifically doing some anti-racist work, and almost everything we try to post is being screened out because the word racism is mentioned, and those um, <laughs> platforms uh. don't want to try to dis disambiguate which is good no. productive conversation about racism and which might violate a no. service so they just squash the conversation and move on to talking about nascar and then you know we're, right. we're nowhere so exactly. for those organizations who are thinking either we don't have a mission alignment with what's going on with these folks and mm -hmm. we're supporting them by being in their platform what right. if we did start trying to communicate to, to a broader range of people using some of these less controlled um spaces my my biggest concern that I'm going to hear back from people is, well, there just isn't an audience there yet. Uh, right. So why should I spend time and energy publishing through ActivityPub when there's not that many people? And I think there's a couple of responses to that, but I'm more interested in how you talk to folks that are newer coming in that they're thinking of this Metcalf's Law problem right. of the value of network. Right. Well, I think there are several points to be made there. I mean, one of them is just from my own personal experience. Like I said, I have 45,000, 40 whatever thousand people supposedly, quote unquote, following me on Twitter. Um, but recently, I, I, I mean, when I was still using Twitter uh, on a daily basis, um, I did an experiment where I posted the exact same thing through my Mastodon account. And I had far fewer people following me there at the time um, and on my Twitter account. And the level of engagement that I got on the exact same post was far higher. Um, and not just in terms of uh, a percentage, like as in like relatively higher uh, when you take the follower count discrepancies into uh, account. It was actually, uh, concretely higher in number uh, than my post on Twitter. Now you might say, okay, well, you reach a different audience perhaps on Mastodon, et cetera, but the number differences were huge, you know, in terms of my number of followers. So, uh, and uh, not just in terms of statistics, but in terms of my experience um, nowadays, uh, I, I, you get such uh, a human response on the Fediverse versus this sort of mm. either confrontational or drive-by kind of commenting um, that I would get on Twitter. Um, you actually have people who want to have a conversation about the topics that you're raising, or maybe I'll raise a point and people will just start having a conversation, you know, and not one where they're going at each other's throats. Uh, so uh, my experience qualitatively, not just quantitatively, but qualitatively has been so much better on the Fediverse. Are there horrible people on the Fediverse? Of course. 
Can you block them? Sure. So, you know, block them. Um, but the experience that I've had is far nicer on a qualitative uh, level right. as well. And I think that's very important. So I, th um, I think we may be in so, a bit of an early adopter space on this though, right? Where um, there are people who are frustrated with the current system who are willing to break out and, and move yeah. before necessarily everybody has broken out and moved. Or there are certain exactly. communities that find it a much more welcome. I was really impressed with when I started spending more time there, um, the um, number quality involvement in the queer community on this space compared to what I've oh, yes. publicly talked about yes. in um, co corporate controlled spaces. Uh, so mm -hmm. depending on who you're trying to reach, it's very possible there is actually a bigger, more engaged audience already in Definitely. these other spaces and you just haven't been there yet. But for the other folks that are concerned about, I'm not there yet, I don't have that big audience. Right. You know, how do you help them think about, well, maybe it's okay to start coming now and build that conversation and invite your users to think well, about Well, I this. think so. I think so, um, especially given that uh, there's been a huge influx of people ever since the Elon Musk news right. came out. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've got, uh, like the other day I checked, and I was like, well, how, how do I have 12,000 people following me on the Fediverse? You know, um, I was quite shocked. Um, and that, that happened mostly in the last, I think, uh, influx of folks uh, when, when Elon Musk's uh, news uh, got out. Um, but you don't have to leave the current platforms either it doesn't have to be an either or right so i don't think there's any harm whatsoever in setting up a fediverse account starting to use it um maybe initially uh you know um i, I would stay away from cross posting that's something that i did for a while um i was writing my posts on mastodon to incentivize myself to use it more and then cross posting from mastodon to twitter um, because still I had this kind of a thing in my head where I'm like, oh, potentially not reaching right. people who might be interested in this. Um, and that's actually problematic for several reasons. Um, because, uh, for example, there are people on the Fediverse who don't want to be on Twitter. Now, we no. mentioned that there is a thriving uh, alternative uh the thriving, thriving alternative communities like the LGBTQ plus community, et cetera. Um, and some of those people for security reasons, for other reasons, don't actually want what they post on the Fediverse to go to Twitter and be picked up by the algorithm and possibly reach people they don't want to reach. Mm. So um, my real eye opener was when uh, someone that I've been following for a long time on the Fediverse said, could you please not boost my um, posts uh, if you're going to cross post because I really don't want them to go there and I was like actually you know what you're right because by posting there you haven't said at all broadcast this to your 45,000 followers on Twitter you haven't said that and I'm kind of taking the initiative to do that on your behalf um, and so I would just say start set up an account it's just as easy as setting up a Twitter account um, either set up a, an account on Mastodon or PixelFed if you're more into the Instagram side of things or PeerTube. There are lots of free instances. And just have a play with it. But I, I'd say give it a chance as its own thing. Don't use it like Twitter. Don't use it like Instagram, even though it might look like Twitter or Instagram. It's its own thing. There is no algorithm pushing posts towards you. So you have to make more of an effort to find and follow people that you're interested in. But if you take that step, if you make that effort, 
it will pay you back in terms of actually creating a, a legitimate community of interested people. Um, and you can do this alongside everything you've been doing uh, already. And if you find at some point, like I did, actually, I'm not getting anything out of Twitter. It's actually just infuriating me. Um, and because it does that, it shows you posts that it knows you will react to. So will this post get you at, get all angry? Great, let's show it to him uh, because we want him to react, right? If you're getting uh, sick of that at some point, then you might decide may maybe it's not worth it. And look, I've got a community over here where you know we have control, we have ownership, um, and there's no one just trying to exploit us for profit. So um, yeah, I, I, that would that's what I would suggest. Um, so I think for the charity, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Basically. Right. I mean, for sure. And I think absolutely the the question, and I do want to get back to you know Mastodon.social versus any of these other instances and the problem of scale when right. it isn't a giant corporation and and you mm -hmm. know what that means. But um, before we get to that, just a, um, a closing the thought on we're used to thinking about social media as here is our uh, big public square that we can bring a bullhorn in and shout at everybody at the same time. And, <laughs> uh, you know, then we're going to get our message out. And I think if you look at the realities right. of that space. Um, I've, <laughs> I've got some, an organization I'm working with that is very excited about their uh, TikTok followers uh, and TikTok is fine for what it is, but um, <sighs> what, yeah. what I what I mentioned to them is like, what, what are those people actually doing about your mission? You know, how are they helping right. you connect things and make change and do this stuff? And like, well, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm like, okay, so you have a lot of people that are spending time swiping on apps, but not actually changing anything. And if right. that's what you're getting out of today's social media, maybe go for that smaller audience and start building it by being one of those early adopters that's there in that space first, that when the rest exactly. of the folks that use that space decide they're not going to be there and they are looking yeah. for an alternative way of connecting with people, uh, they come and then they do find you, uh, Charity XYZ, already there, yeah. already with an engaged audience. And, and then you've yeah. got an opportunity to build a meaningful relationship rather than right. one more follower that maybe ne never sees what you're doing. And that's so key. Is it quality you're after or quantity? You know, if you're chasing quantity, okay, then nothing can compete with these centralized systems. Um, do you need a, a million people who don't care about what you're doing to be following you because they liked a, a funny video you posted? Right. Um, or do you need, or, or would, what if you had a thousand people who deeply cared about what you do, right? What if you yeah. had 10,000 people who deeply cared about what you do and who, who want to support what you're doing for any not-for-profit um, that isn't some sort of a, a corporate play in disguise, that right. should be more than enough to make you sustainable, as we know firsthand. Um, and also, I think, you know, you mentioned that we think of these uh, social media networks as a public square or a public space. And we do that because they tell us that that's what they are. But we also have to be very uh, aware of the fact that they are not a public space. They are not a park. They are shopping malls. So, you know, there's a real risk to our democracies um, of conflating parks and shopping malls because we need parks. We need places where we can have a public space. We can have a public sphere. We can have conversations. We can educate one another on things. We can be informed of things um, without being under constant manipulation. 
because we've seen the effects of what happens when that manipulation is used or weaponized. We've seen it with Cambridge Analytica in the UK, with the with Boris Johnson getting elected, with Trump getting elected, um, and you know the Facebook data that was used in those processes by Cambridge Analytica. So we have a lot of you know precedents as to why this is dangerous. Um, so yeah, I, th I think it's very important that we support the alternatives, um, not just for our own, you know, short term goals, but for our for the longer health uh, of our human rights and democracy itself. So if you've got a, a organization in the nonprofit sector who's listening to this going, well, okay, I mean, I don't want to spend a lot more time on communications outreach, but all right, I'm, I'm, it's sort of similar to what I'm doing in some other spaces anyway, so maybe I can just mm -hmm. quickly do this at the same time I'm doing my other things and then start really measuring what's impactful. Right. Um, how do you recommend they decide about um, starting, probably with somebody else's hosted instance to begin with, uh, but you know, if you just go look up Mastodon, you might find like Mastodon.social and you were saying there's maybe a problem with when some of the big providers get big. Uh, so what's that about? Yeah, um, so uh, there are introduction points to the Fediverse. Um, I believe Fediverse.info um, is one that was created by the uh, PixelFed folks. Um, and uh, you can actually find information about these different instances. So the reason why Mastodon.social is so huge is for a lot of people, it's their first introduction point because it was the original instance. Um, and, you know, to give Eugen credit, he has, of course, you know, been pushing other instances, trying to get, he did even closed down um, uh, new account creation at one point, um, but it is back up now. Um, but there is a real danger as these nodes in the Fediverse, as some of these nodes start to grow um, to much larger sizes, that they be become to resemble uh, small versions of the big tech companies, of the Twitters and the Facebooks that we have. And uh, so I think there is a real danger there. Um, and uh, like I said, I see the Fediverse as a stopgap. Uh, you know, Macedon's been going for five years. So the early adopters were there five years ago. We're actually at a point where millions of people use the Fediverse today. So we're not at the very beginning of that early adoption. We're at the point where, you know, you could be kind of leading in the area that you're in by having a presence there. But you're not at the point where, you know, you're going to be plagued with a lot of technical issues. Um, that those were much more prevalent five years ago. But I see it as a stopgap because the next step from there is what, for example, we're working on the Small Technology Foundation is this notion of the small web. So if you take, for example, the fact that I have my own Mastodon instance of one, so it's just for me, and you make that the core of a new model, what would it mean if each one of us had our own places on the web that we owned and controlled but these places could talk to one another using standard uh, standard language that they all understood so that we wouldn't have instance maintainers, et cetera. We would be our own maintainers in a sense. Um, and that's kind of what really interests me looking forward. That doesn't exist today, but looking forward five years, 10 years, um, that is going to exist. And I think the Fediverse is a really nice bridge to that as well. I think those two can coexist very nicely and even maybe interoperate going forward. Yeah, and there's models for that. I think that most charities are used to understanding that you almost certainly own your, your own URL today. 
You exactly. pay for it through some provider uh, that, you know, right. or whoever, but you, somebody um, uh, is, is arranging that service for you, but you own it. You could take it to another provider if you want to, exactly. you know, whatever that, that may be. Um, yep. That's your kind of model of, I pay a little bit of money every year, or I've paid for 10 years exactly. or whatever it is to have this thing that I can control. Now, from there, I right. probably am also paying a web hosting company. Uh, to host mm -hmm. a website somewhere, maybe it's uh, WordPress or you know whatever else it may be. But I'm hosting exactly. some information, and they're paying the bandwidth, the the computers. They do all that stuff. I give them a little bit right. of money, but then I direct it. And similarly, anytime I don't like that service, I can move over to another one and redirect my URL to go to it. And that's exactly. my decision as a as a user of those services. It sounds it. like after you've played in this space and tried to understand it a little bit more, you could, as you have done with your URL, create your own Mastodon or, or PixelFed or whatever other type of instance you right. do with ActivityPub with that same hosting service, understanding that if it's just going to be you using it, the amount of bandwidth is relatively small, probably isn't going yeah. to cost you anything more than you're already paying. Um, if you open the right. door to 100,000 users, that's a, a whole nother conversation. Yeah. You will have to talk have to about do that. that. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to do that. And I would again say that, you know, I would urge you not to do that. You do not want to become a center. You do not want to be responsible for moderating 100,000, 200,000 people as Oigan is finding out on Macedon.social, right? Um, there's a reason I'm working on a system where everyone has their own instance. I don't want to moderate people. I want to moderate my own feed. I will block people from, you know, that I don't, uh, you know, if there's a racist instance or, or someone who's being racist, I block them. Um, but I don't want to moderate other people. Um, and I think it's it's just a basic modeling of something we have in the physical world that we don't yet really have in the digital or the virtual world um, online, which is personhood. You know, as a person, um, I cannot moderate your thoughts. I cannot moderate what you say. However, if you yell fire in a theater, then we have laws and we have local policing and you might be arrested for that because it endangers other people. Um, and that's basically just the system that we're trying to model with the small web. It doesn't mean no moderation. It just means that people have the ability to uh, express themselves um, either privately, truly privately, um, not like the big tech quote unquote private where it's not because you share it with them um, um, or publicly. And I think this is a very core thing that we immediately instinctively understand why this is important when we think of tangible beings like human beings, but we forget how important it is um, because it's not immediately visible uh, online that we don't have these rights, that we don't have that sort of personhood um, online. And I think that's that's where you know uh, hopefully we will get to at some point, but it's not going to come from a corporate space. So one of the things that's very different about uh, the way the this federated system with ActivityPub has been set up is you, you can mm -hmm. start now at somebody else's instance, but the intentionality of being able to move to your yes. own or someone else's or whatever yes. and not lose anything. And here's you know where the, the lock-in on something like Facebook or Twitter or whatnot is like, well, you leave our platform, you don't get to talk to our audience anymore. Of course, um, yeah. That... that um, makes it harder to think about, well, you know, I don't like how this organization is being run, or right. it's going private or whatever. Um, but that's part of the, the, the DNA of this system in, is of course. take everything you've connected with so far, 
move it yeah. to wherever you want to do. You lose nothing by making that decision. Um, and yeah. it's very fast and easy to make that call. So when I right. mentioned that uh, example of I really should have more carefully looked at the terms of this particular instance, and I didn't, and oh gosh, my bad, but also no harm, no foul. I, I can fix exactly. that problem very quickly. And yeah. um, anyone in the charity world that wants to try some of these things, get in, if it does become something that's more meaningful, more impactful, bigger, and you're like, you know what, we should host this ourselves, we should own this thing, then take the next mm -hmm. step, move everything you've built, um, put it under your new name, uh, doesn't make a change for the other people that have already been following you, they'll stay with you, it's easy to be able to maintain those conversations. Uh, and yeah. that's a, a really exciting part of what this growing part of the technology looks like. Um, I, I just am checking the clock, we're, we're running a little low on time, I want to ask you one more question, and then any wrap up thoughts that you may have which is about you okay. know, just federated social, but small web right. more generally, because there are these ideas of, um, you know, are, is everybody being hosted by Squarespace and then, you know, um, therefore, you know, they set the rules for what the web looks like versus right. how are you distributing hosting of, uh, you know, the, the, the web protocols versus um, the activity pub protocols or whatever. As, as small technology moves forward, are you considering or asking people to consider all of those types of relationships they have? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, when the internet first came about, it was in reaction to the centralization of the telephone system and how that posed risks. I mean, of course, initially it was a military initiative and then they could see that that posed a risk because if you took out this one center, then you would take out all communication. Um, it's the same uh, with the web. Initially, we thought that the web was decentralized because there were a lot of instances which we call servers. It was in an academic setting. A lot of people ran their own web servers. But then the moment um, we brought capitalism into the equation and the kind of Silicon Valley model of venture capital uh, where you know uh, a group of wealthy people uh, invest 5 million uh, with the hope of having an organization, a corporation, a startup, as we call them, grow to like a billion dollar mm -hmm. uh, state and exit. Um, when this system came into it, we saw those number of servers, those nodes uh, shrink and kind of coalesce and become the centers that we know today as Google, Yahoo, Facebook, et cetera, because there was this huge injection of capital in order to, um, in order to create these centers. And, um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, that is a danger today. If Cloudflare goes out, most of the internet goes out, hmm. you know, We've we see these happen. things happening. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a real resiliency issue with centralization, forget everything else, forget the fact that we have now a handful of people who know more about the intimate details of all of our lives than have ever been, than has ever been the case throughout history. You know, we thought kings had knowledge or whatever, it doesn't even compare to the kind of knowledge that someone like Elon Musk has or, or Mark Zuckerberg has about all of us um, and what they can do with that knowledge. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's very, very important um, 
and I think this also brings me to, to you know, what we were saying throughout today as in, uh, well, what can you get out of using the Fediverse, et cetera. But I think especially for not-for-profits and especially for um, any organization that's trying to affect social good, I think you should also ask yourself, what can we do to help people move off of this kind of um, centralized surveillance-based system by you actually moving to more ethical platforms you will be guiding people off of those um, centralized systems uh, just by being there. Because remember, a lot of people use Facebook, not necessarily because they love it, but because that's the only way they can attend an online, I don't know, parent-teacher evening or right. something. Um, you know, the more organizations use these platforms, because you're lending legitimacy to these platforms, you're saying there's nothing wrong with Facebook. Look, I'm here. And especially if you're a not-for-profit, a charity that people respect, where you have legitimacy in terms of social good, your being there actually legitimizes these platforms. So I think that's another way of looking at it, not just what can I get from the Fediverse, from this thing that people have created as a social good, as a commons, but what can I contribute? And I think this should, I hope, resonate with um, a lot of people who, instead of going and working at a huge corporation or creating a huge corporation, have chosen to create a not-for-profit or a charity. I think, you know, um, there's a reason you did that. And I think there is a lot of good to be done by moving off of these platforms and embracing the more ethical ones. I, I could talk to you about this for the next two hours. I love your passion <laughs> around this. Uh, I, Thank I you really so much, appreciate Steve. you taking the time. Um, are there well, I appreciate you covering you this topic. I, I appreciate, you know, you reaching out and covering this topic. I think it's essential. I think you're doing a huge amount of good uh, with these, uh, with this podcast and by covering, covering topics like this. So thank you. And sorry, yeah. I cut you off. You were asking me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely welcome. And I'm excited that we got a chance to do it and share this because I do think that this is one more distributed way of people learning something is here's free audio. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, share it with anybody that wants to listen to it. No commercials, no, none Indeed. of that. Just go learn something by listening while you're walking the dog or washing the dishes or whatever and, and spark some ideas. So, uh, yeah. but we do have to wrap for right now. I just wanted to give you a moment to um, uh, mention anything that we didn't get a chance to cover, uh, um, URLs you want people to think about, anything along those lines. Um, I think we basically covered it, Steve. Yeah. Um, if you could maybe put the URL to fediverse.info, that would be a good starting point for people to learn about this stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of information up on the web. So, you know, fire up a search engine like DuckDuckGo, maybe not Google, and and look for Fediverse, um, look for ActivityPub. Um, and, you know, I'm on mastodon.ar.al. Uh, so, you know, if you search for me um, on a Mastodon client or pretty much any ActivityPub Fediverse client, you should be able to find my account. Feel free to just send me a message, say hi, you know, make it a public message if it's not something, you know, uh, that you don't want other people to know um, and ask me a question. I'll, you know, the, when I can, I will get back to you. And if it's a question that other people care about as well, they'll have an answer there too. So, or just say hi um, and I'll follow you back. And, you know, this it, it's a network of people. So, um, you know, I, I would say just uh, reach out, be human on it. <laughs> you don't have to be professional, you don't have to be corporate, etc. Um, just be human and you'll find other human beings that hopefully will get you started. Outstanding.
so Aral Bakan is the co-founder of Small Technology Foundation. We'll have links in the notes. Uh, Aral, again, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Steve. Have a lovely day.